Welcome to TNT ESQ. I'm Teresa Quinlan, and I'm here with my co-host, Reese Thomas. We make up the TNT to explode the status quo. This series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently so we can do differently. Our guest today is Chris Jackson, known throughout LinkedIn as the man with the Midas touch and a heart of gold. His amazing songs for Sunday and his imitable talent for connecting like-minded souls and bringing people together. Chris has a very successful career in finance and investment, and he's currently the CEO and owner of True North Financial Services. When you speak with Chris, you see his genuine heart shine. This is why we want to explore the topic of compassion and leadership, and we are so excited to welcome Chris Jackson to the show. Chris, thank you for being here. Yes, sir. I'm not excited at all, in case you can't tell. So let's yeah, roll. <laughs> I can tell. I can see it in your face. Um, so look, we're ready to explode the status quo and perhaps also the stigma around compassionate leadership. So we'd like to kick off with a question. Which, it's not passion, it's obsession. So you're obsessed with serving others. You always lead with your heart. Can you tell us a little bit about what first got you started down this path? Have you always been this way? Was there a moment which inspired you to recognize the benefits of leading with compassion? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. So I, I continually go back to, and if you've been a connection of mine on LinkedIn for a while, you've probably even heard part of this story before, but it really started for me. I grew up, uh, quite frankly, in a very negative home. There are a lot of negative things. One, there was a lot of financial pressure. Two, I, I've always struggled with my weight, was born 10 pounds, 10 ounces, and I've had, you know, 10 to 20 extra pounds ever since, if not more, 40. Um, you're, still you're still carrying your baby weight. <laughs> I am. I can't get rid of that sucker. Um, <laughs> so, and I also, you know, just to be really open, I, you know how all babies are cute? I was the ugliest baby ever born. No. I, was, I know. I'm serious. I was 10 pounds, 10 ounces. I was all red freckles, red hair. And I was like fat. I wasn't like the cute chubby baby. I was like this big, ugly blob. I don't know how much that formed it as much as the negative home did and sort of not really having positive people in my life most of my life. It wasn't till I started college at sort of an insular sort of a place where two of my brothers had gone. And I just, it wasn't for me. Like I needed this breakaway. And so I decided to take a semester off. I worked in a car wash. I transferred colleges to a place that I knew not a single person. And I had never visited the campus. In fact, the only person I knew was my ex-girlfriend was transferring there to continue to stalk me. I knew no one. And one day, and I remember I was in the best shape of my life. I had lost, you know, 30 some pounds that year to wrestle. And I had a great year. I was co-captain and all that stuff. Great year for me. You'd think confidence would be built. But socially, and you'll, you'll be shocked. I was very quiet and very reserved. And I Every time I wanted to talk to someone or say something, particularly if it was a pretty girl back then, I couldn't do it. They're going to think I'm goofy and I wasn't sarcastic at all. I was in my brain, but I never shared it because I thought people would think I was just stupid. And uh, I was top male in my class, but I just didn't have a lot of confidence outside of academics um, and a few sports. And so literally, I remember the day, I remember what I was wearing. I just decided. I said, you know what? I'm going to a new place. They don't know me. I can do and be whatever I want it to actually be. And no one will know my past, my family, my weight, all that stuff. 
And I just decided I'm going to be social. And if I think it, as long as it's not unkind, I'm just going to say it. And if I want to do it, I'm just going to do it. And I set a goal right then of there are 8,000 students, four years in my mathematical mind. I said, I need to meet 2,000 students a year. And by the end of four years, I'll know the whole campus. And so wow. I wanted to, by the end of the first year, know 2,000 students. And by the end of the first semester, recent Teresa, I knew more than 2,000 students. And they knew my name. I knew their name. And like everybody just about liked me. And I was like so blown away and so surprised by how well that went. But like literally I decided in one day that I was going to put myself out there. And I really, now I've had self-doubts. I still have them sometimes for mm -hmm. sure. But I just don't let them control me anymore. I don't let them keep me from being who I want to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and so from then on, and I've always been a leader. I've always risen to the top. I was president of the youth group. I was the president of my group. I led a group of us that tried out for women's volleyball team because we wanted a men's volleyball team. Like I was always a leader. So when I opened myself up, I just led with compassion from then on because I'm a compassionate guy. My heart you know, leads even before my brain, which is not always good. And so that's just how I've been. And so when I got into the business world, I did three years of professional mentoring uh, shortly after college uh, and worked at a CPA firm for a little while. I just haven't ever changed back because I like most of who I am. Uh, I haven't really pulled back. I want to continually improve. Yeah, when, when I hear your story, what I hear that really sort of stands out to me quite a bit is that from your upbringing with a negative environment, so a negative environment, like the opposite of compassion is judgment and assumptions, right? Abs and shame. Oh my right. gosh. Right. So when you, when you grow up in that type of environment, it can have this sort of effect of containing your authenticity. Absolutely. So kind of shrinking you and who you are so i love that your story is about i was in a new place where nobody knew me which means there are no assumptions and judgments about who i ever was before and now my authenticity box can be as big as i would like it to be and i'm going to choose in this moment to show up 100 percent and just sort of let the chips fall where they may fall yep did you have that sort of feeling when you were in the negative world that you wanted to do it and you just couldn't I, I knew I needed to leave home as soon as I could. One of the last things I told my sister who had been my best friend until I left home. She was one year behind me in school. And I remember saying to her, Jamie's her first name. Uh, her nickname was Rink. I said, Rink, whatever you do when you graduate high school next year, you have to get out of here. You have to go away to school. Beautiful. You have to get away from this environment, this home these these parents quite frankly mm -hmm. and she never did mm. and she still hasn't and she's 42 going 43 years old and she's still living in that place and all sorts of rough things in her life continue you know and i broke free and you know for mm. there's still a lot of guilt that i carry at times because i haven't been able to rescue people that i really love sure but it, but at some points you can't one they're not willing and two like they can kind of suck you back in I have to still to this day, Teresa, as strong as I am in certain areas, I have to avoid negative people and negative yeah. environments because I'm not strong enough to like stay out of getting sucked into it. I know some people say, no, embrace the negative people. They need you. I'm like, I, I'm not strong enough. I just can't. Well, I think you're speaking to something that's really important is that, you know, you're tr you have to, sometimes you have to build your tribe. 
Your tribe isn't the one that yes. you're into. You have yes. to create it yourself. And there's a lot of people that I think fall into that sort of spectrum of there are parts of my, you know, given tribe that allow me to flourish and be who I am and that are compassionate yes. to me. I'm compassionate to them. We have that dynamic. Absolutely. And there are parts of my, you know, natural born tribe that that isn't like that. And so we make choices as we grow up to be compassionate, surround ourselves with compassionate people, and then to choose purposefully by design to keep others that are not like that away from us because we know that it serves us no purpose. And it makes us not able to help others too. So like if I had been in that environment, people always say, Chris, I admire what you do on LinkedIn. You just seem to be doing it for the sake of helping people. I'm like, well, that's exactly why I'm doing it. But I couldn't do any of that and I couldn't do the mentoring if I was like self-doubting myself all the time. And I hope someday to get to the point that I can actually embrace negative people and not get so caught up in either rescuing them or feeling rejected if I can't. But mm -hmm. I'm, you know, in a way it's sort of like an alcoholic. They shouldn't really go into a bar too often if it's right. still a problem that they have. And right. still to this day, if I go to the, my, I call them my growing up family. Mm -hmm. And then I have sort of my family you know, my friends and my LinkedIn, like those are another family. And, you know, that whole law of attraction, like attracts like, I think, yes, you attract similar to you, but I also think you can attract what you want to if you choose to. And so, you know, when I started coming on LinkedIn, it was, it was to find some people different than the people around here even and find like-minded people, but also people I could learn from and people that I could help. So I'm interested to you, 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 said how going to college, getting a new opportunity helped you kind of evolve into the person you really wanted to be. You obviously then went to professional work, you worked for other companies, and then you went to be your own boss where you could create the, the ideal family scenario that maybe you didn't have but you wanted. And as a leader, you can lead entirely through your heart, through compassion, as a servant leader, whatever you want to call it. How, how did that change? I'm so glad you used that phrase because I try not to describe myself as a servant leader, but my honest goal in life is for others to look at me as a servant leader. So thank you. No problem. That's, it comes across. Did that change you again once you had that new opportunity? You know, before it's just about you. Now it's about uh, others, you know? Boy, you don't, you don't miss a thing. So the, the second kind of breakthrough began, I was about 37. I'm 44 now, so about seven years ago. It was sort of, hey, I'm in this career path. I'm successful. I'm rising to the top. I'm winning awards, making good money. You know, we have, if you saw our property, we have one of the most beautiful properties in this whole region. It's unbelievable. The toys that I've wanted to acquire, I've been able to acquire. We've never had a car payment. You know, just we've been so blessed financially. Since I was 16, I knew I wanted to own my own business. I knew I wanted it to be in something with numbers and people because I've always been great with numbers and great with people. And it's amazing how seldom it is that those two genuine skill sets actually go together in one person. I didn't know it was unique, but people keep saying, my gosh, you're great at the numbers and you're great with people. That's so rare. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. But at 37, I started taking actual steps toward breaking free again of sort of a negative corporate environment. Uh, it had been an amazingly positive environment, but they changed the CEO when he retired and they picked absolutely the wrong person a horrible human being took over a fantastic organization that was led by my, one of my greatest mentors, certainly my major main business mentor, Ken Shoemaker, amazing human being. He's a, a client of mine to this day. He's a fantastic person. 
he left and they picked this guy that just is a bully and negative and wants to threaten people and just the opposite of who they had in place that made the company successful. And I, again, it was almost like deja vu, like I'm going to have to get out of here. And so it was sort of one of those, like I knew I could create the people I wanted. And I had a great team of eight people by that point I was overseeing. But it was like, you know what, I can leave this job and I'll be successful wherever I go. And so I started taking actions towards leaving there. And, you know, what was next went really, really well until the management there sort of made a bad decision. And it was sort of like, you know what, Chris, you know what you did wrong? You're, you're not in charge. You're, you don't own, own the business. You can't really make it what you want. You can make your little area, your division, your brand. But when somebody else is in charge, you're going to end up under what they're trying to create. When it was Ken, it was awesome. I would have stayed there my whole career. That's a really good point that you're making because when we look at leadership and we look at, you know, the workplace structure, we, we see that structure of tiers of management and you mm -hmm. can be this person who comes into a corporation and is compassionate and is a servant leader or is like a coach driven leader, is a people person. And if yep. you have above you tiers of management that don't follow that sort of philosophy and leadership that follow more so the philosophies of being a bully or being a tyrant. It's quite challenging to change the cultural dynamic of your workplace is when you're in management, because you usually have to manage up and manage down. So you're, you know, you're in Absolutely. the middle. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're in the middle. You know, if you're a great compassionate servant leader, you tend to buffer your people from what's above them as much yep. as possible. Yep. But, your stress, I can only imagine what your stress levels must have been like to try and cultivate that. So I'm interested then in knowing what did you take into when you started your business? What was sort of the philosophy that drove how you were going to treat the people that worked for you? Yeah, so I never actually had the guts to start my own business. I acquired a longstanding business and I sought this person out because they're corporate ethos and their way of doing investments lined up really, really well with mine. His character, Mr. Tom Tucker, which is the company I acquired, Tucker Financial. Now it's True North. He, he's a, a tremendous human being. Uh, we have the same faith. We have the same practices. He loved on his two, the two women that worked for him. It was just a three-person firm. He loved his clients, um, cared about them. Didn't do everything the way I do it now. And we're morphing those things to the way they should be. But there was no disconnect between how he did things and who he was and myself. Different personality and all those kind of things. But you know, if you, if you put us down on paper on ma the major things, you'd think we were you know, father and son or just two different generations of almost the same kind of a person. Uh, now I'm type A, he's type B, I'm super outgoing, he's more reserved, there's major differences. But as far as core values and business practices in, in the big picture. And so I found a company that already aligned reputationally with me. And I built a pretty big reputation. I was often the one put on billboards, even when it wasn't my company and stuff. I needed that to continue. Because if you buy a company that's got a whole different thing, one, you got to transform the culture. Two, like you got to overcome the bad, the bad will instead of the goodwill. I acquired the business. It's been around since 1983. I acquired it January 1st of 2017. Tom had an average client tenure of 19 years which in our industry is unheard of. He had far exceeded his goals, very loyal clients, good folks working with him. And then also, you know, I knew that was the platform then that I could sort of, what I sort of did, Teresa, was I had this legacy client 
base that sort of fueled the revenue. I did a great job. We only lost one client through the whole transition. But then I sort of bolted on a fast growing company to the side of that. It was almost like a startup. And that was True North. I didn't use two different names then. I probably should have. And so we've grown almost now 70% in those 31 months. And they were growing zero when I bought the firm. So it's been a great, uh, a great run, far exceeded my expectations. As you buy a company, you typically end up losing the staff over time. And so, you know, I knew what I wanted to do at 37. I knew who I was hoping to acquire, but if it didn't work out with Tom, I was going to again go down my list to the next one until I found the right fit. And if I couldn't find one, I would have started my own eventually, I believe. In my recruiting, it's all about who can align with my long-term goals, our way of doing things, and our genuine care and concern for each and every client. And I still to this day can't figure out if it's more important to take really good care of your team or more important to take really good care of your clients. And so I just do both really, really well. I heard two things. I heard the how we do things, which I think often is lacking. You know, we write our cultural statement on the wall and then um, we assume everyone knows how to go about doing that. We assume everyone has the skill set or behaviors. We also make an assumption that they have the core values to be able to execute on those types of things. So I heard you say the two things that were predominantly in front of you to make sure you could execute on compassion, taking care of people, no matter if they're client or employee, was being very clear on how we do things and underlying that was a foundation of core values that we all have. And so you recruit based on those things as well. And then we train, 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 remind, 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 remind. We talk about it all the time to the point they're like, okay, Chris, we've heard this. I'm like, but until you hear it, not seven times, but 17 times. <laughs> yeah, and we're, we've hired six people since January 2nd. So there's a constant new people and we got to brainwash all of them. Uh, so they're recruited well, raw materials, but like they almost have, I almost have to retrain them. Like it is okay to make mistakes. Right. Well, yeah. Because yeah. when you're so afraid to make a mistake, you don't really operate out of your strengths. You're afraid. Yeah. And so until they've made a couple mistakes early on and come to me, because that's my only rule. You got to tell me the day of the mistake, as soon as you discover it and it'll all be fine it can all be fixed. Mm -hmm. But until they actually do it because they're coming out of corporate, there are some, several I've recruited from the bank I used to work at. And so the first time they bring me a mistake, you can tell they're like afraid. Is he really going to be as compassionate as he seems? Yeah. And then I like overboard be like, ah, no big deal. We can fix this. I'll call the client, blah, blah, blah. Or you, you call the client. I'll back you up. Like, let's, this is no big deal. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually like they feel set free. Mm -hmm. And like, I literally see their shoulders drop and they're not so tense at work anymore. And then they start to actually shine even more. And it's so much more fun that way too. So what about brand new staff? So you talked about acquiring staff that maybe you've worked before from who have an existing experience. So I know that you like to promote youth. You like to employ young people. You like to empower them and support them. I'm a new employee. I come into new day. What are the, what are the sort of boundaries, the expectations, the clear values? How would you uh, train me or teach me to be, to be and think like you? Great. So Reese, we'll, we'd hire you anytime. Uh, <laughs> and in the recruiting process, the interview process, mm -hmm. we start talking about that because I want to see how they react. If someone would ever say, well, I just want to make a lot of money, that interview would be over right then and there. 
That's just not at all what we're looking for. And is um, it, so is that sort of a practice? Is you're like, look, we have some sort of non-negotiables. If you say these kinds of things within our interview, it's kind of, it's not going to work for us. I don't tell them that up front because most people no, are no, smart no, enough. No, 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 But you're recruiting uh, people know this. Well, I'm the only recruiter right now. Oh, well, that makes I, it consistent. That's for sure. Makes it easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we only... We, yeah, we only, have, we only have 11 actual employees, but then we have about six 1099 folks that are just like employees yeah. uh, with us. And then we have third parties that do a bunch for us, like a local accounting firm. They, they've now taken on all bookkeeping. We outsourced payroll. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of like a 16-person firm. We do the work of probably a 25 member firm, <laughs> something like that. But you know, these were, this was a, a three person company and we're doing so much more part of it fueling growth. But part of it is honestly, we're spending the time to perpetuate this company and perpetuate the impact on these young people. So right now we have four interns and two 1099 folks and also two of our consultants are either students or grads of the local university. And some of them might become permanent long-term employees, but many of them, I kind of picture they're gonna go out into the working world. They're gonna have a, a positive impact because of their time with us. And I love thinking about that ripple effect as, as they go out into the world, taking this message of compassion, leadership, yeah. servant leadership, uh, positivity, uh, growth mindset. That, yeah, that, that's what I love seeing happen. Uh, and that's really exciting to me. So what I'm hearing from that is you, know, you you're you're talking about your community. I mean, I'm sure it's a time and, and a cost and thing. That's why you outsource some of your process. But at the same time, you like subconsciously helping support the local community. You know, you're you're doing your interns, you're doing your mentorship. Is yeah, that yeah. all just something that just comes from within because maybe you didn't have that to start with, and now you just try to give that in any way and in any shape and in any scenario you can be that servant leader. Definitely. And I've always been um, led by my faith as well. I'm a Christian man and sure. my faith's really important to me. And so the idea of compassion, putting others first, treating people the way you would want to be treating, treated, like we talk about empathy a lot. It's like an overused word. Oh, you're an empath. I'm like, ah, I don't want to be labeled. I just love people. I care about people. Call me that. But compassion's a word like, like you two said, like I didn't even think about the negative stigma or the controversy over that. And, you know, in my industry, it is rare. Mm. For someone to lead with compassion, I, I know that, but that's how everyone should lead. They don't have to all be like me, don't get me wrong. People should lead with a care and concern for their team, for their clients, and for the community that they live in. Like we, we publicly, I announced it on LinkedIn first, 10% of our after-tax net, net profits every year is going to go to local nonprofits in the places where our clients live and work. Like that's, I want to bless the community. I I, I like to say my hands are so full of blessings, I can't possibly contain them. And so either I waste them, I hoard them, or, you know, let's share them. Um, and so that's a, a genuine thing I've always tried to do is how can I impact others, but also like future generations. I think so much in the American culture, it's about now, and that's important. But my goodness, these young people, like one of my, my amazing summer intern, Allison Swartz, oh my gosh, she's... She just got an internship with the best children's hospital in the country, partly because of her internship with us. And so she learned finding, I would love to hire her. I would love to have her with my company forever and ever. Now she's going to go into the children's psychology health field. Nice. And I'm like her big brother mentor. Oh my gosh. Now I can through her have an impact 
on these young kids who are having psychological issues. And there's no one better in the entire world than Allie Swartz to walk into that room and love those kids. That is the ripple impact of leading with your core values, right? In everything that you do, it ends up influencing more people than the ones that are just in front of you. That and more than you think, like I never imagined I would impact children's psychological health. Like that's, my gosh, I can't even believe it. Chris, everybody gets stressed out. Everyone gets, you know, a, a little down in the dumps <laughs> on occasion. You know, some people more than others. So I, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm sure it happens to you on occasion as well. You have days where you're like a little less than Chris. <laughs> actually, actually this morning this morning was go, one of those right? days something later today i'm dreading and i just i'm not getting my mind right i didn't get to bed on time and i had a really busy day and perfect this morning i was talking to a friend i'm like i'm having one of my very very rare down days yeah and they were like why what's happening i'm like it's not even anything big but i'm just down today uh you can't tell now because you got me wound up but <laughs> yeah two things i'm interested in knowing because you know compassionate leadership is what will sustain our workforces in the future but people may be trying to get there so you're already there and you've been there for a number of years maybe you can help people out a little bit through this platform and being able to share how you do that when you're down in the depths and you're not quite feeling it how do you turn yourself around and then number two, or when people are behaving in a way that makes compassion difficult, how do you ground yourself in it? Yeah, those are good questions. The second one I'm gonna struggle with a little because it's a, an area where it's, it's hard for me because of that negative upbringing that I had. So remind me to come back to that. But the, the first one, a couple of things I do, and again, these won't necessarily work for everybody. You gotta find what works for you. It's one of my favorite movies. It's a, kind of a silly movie to be one of your favorites. Uh, it's Phenomenon with John Travolta and Kira Sedgwick. It's like an awesome love story and this crazy thing. Like my brain works like his with the tumor. Like if I shared all the stuff I thought in a day, people would be like, either he's a genius or he's a madman. And it's probably a little bit of both. But in that, in that story, there's a beautiful, beautiful part. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry again. You guys are making me cry. He found out what her chairs are and he bought a bunch of them for her what would be the most meaningful thing to her is for someone to buy these handmade chairs that she makes. His house was full of them. Right. That was his way to uplift her and show her that he loved her. I think for ourselves, I'm learning more and more, we have to find out what our own chairs are. Mm. And we have to buy our own chairs for our own self. Mm -hmm. Because there's not always gonna be someone to do it for us. And I'm learning. I have a great coach. Her name's Ina uh, Andrea. She's really pushing me to get back to finding my own chairs instead of just work, work, work and putting everybody else first, yes. which is a great thing, but it can cause negative ripples in other areas of your life. Like your marriage can suffer, which mine has been. Uh, your kids can miss out on you, which has been something I'm trying to fix. But, you know, sometimes we just don't take care of ourselves. And we don't put like all my hobbies I've dropped since I bought the business. I gained weight. All those things were going the wrong way. And she saw that and she reached out to me and she recruited me and it's been phenomenal. So we got to find our own chairs. And like, I have found out dealing with positive people is one of my chairs. So if I'm having a down day, I get on a call, I get on the phone with people like you two. I'm, I, I actually told the person I talked to this morning, I'm like, I'll feel better once I'm on with them because they're great. And I get energy from people. So instead of going insular and like, 
being down and like now I'm my own boss, so I can cancel my meetings today. No, 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 that's the opposite. Go do those meetings. Call someone that you know is going to be uplifting. Have those people in your life ahead of time. Listen to music or inspire. My website has an inspiration page. It's just there to uplift me and other people. So you got to do those things. Go, go work out. Read a book. But for me, like I draw energy out of, off of people. So usually my solution is go get with people you love. So you got to find your own chairs. And at some point, yes, you want someone else to find your chairs and buy them too, right? We all want that. But you can't make that happen. Well, I but believe you, when you find your right tribe, it, that's your tribe. Your tribe does that for you naturally. That's how you know it's supposed to be part of your tribe. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was the second part? I'm sorry. So when you're dealing with people, even if it's like an employee who happens to come in and they're behaving in ways that are, don't match your values, how do you ground yourself to be able to discipline, hold them accountable, do those things yeah. that you have to do? Yeah. So um, people would probably criticize me and say, oh my gosh, Chris, you should have done that faster. Like I fired someone last fall that was like firing my own left arm. And a lot of people are like, Chris, you're so positive. How could you ever fire someone? No, she, they needed to go. And they had six months of me working to try to change behavior. And, and yes, that's too long. But this is a 15-year friend of mine. I knew it would take a while to find a replacement and get that person up to speed. She wasn't willing to change. And so after enough chances and enough like, hey, we're going to have to take this to the next level now. Like, do you understand where this is going to end if you don't change course. And, you know, the, the attorneys say, don't have private conversations. I'm like, I can't do it that way. I got to talk to this person and say, hey, this is going to lead to some really serious consequences and look them in the eye and say, I don't want these consequences either, but you're, you're making the decision for me. And so that person, I lost that friend forever. And I understand that. But I did everything extremely well and gave more chances than I should have. And to me, that's how I choose to lead. And so, yes, I wasted time and energy. I don't look back and say there was anything I could have done to salvage that relationship because all the things that I thought could have, I did them. And I gave it time and I kept hoping there would be a wake up call and a, and a change of heart. And it just wasn't. And that wasn't on me. Um, so that's how I deal with that. But if you saw me in the office, I'm constantly trying to read my team mm -hmm. who's down today, who's up today, what might be going on. And I, I do little things to address it with them right in the moment. I call it keeping, keeping our account short, keeping our list short. Yeah. I don't let things simmer. I don't wait till our coaching sessions. I just, hey, are you okay today? Hey, you know, I bought you a, a whoopie pie or some cookies. Hey, what's going on with your mom? Like, I know my team so well that if something's off, they know I'm gonna come into their space one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. probably that day or the next day, or follow up with a text later and say, hey, I noticed you're a little off today. Can you, can you tell me what's going on? Because I care, and they know that I care. I'm like their big brother. There's probably some negatives to being that caring and concerned about, about your team, but you know what? I wouldn't change it for the world. Even if there are negatives, I'll take the overwhelming positives uh, that go with it. Leading with compassion is not all sort of sunshine and rainbows. There's obviously going to be a downside to it. As long as you are um, upfront with yourself, you understand that, you recognize there could be uh, problems with that, but despite all those problems, do it anyway. That really yeah. just reinforces your, the fact that you are so compassionate. You know, everything you say, you send them a message, you give them a present, you take them aside, you take the time to talk to them, to connect with them, to build that trust, to build that safe space, like we say, Teresa environment when it is like a family 
And yeah, absolutely. Yes, it might come and might have a, a repercussion sometimes, but when you live your values that way, the positives will always outshine the negatives. Big time. Exactly right. So I was a leader for a really long time, and I too am a more compassionate leader than any sort of style, other style. You can tell. <laughs> so I really care about the person first, and my philosophy was take care of the person first, and then we'll be able to take care of the business. But if, you know, if you're not right, then we're not going to get much done. And so knowing them really well was essential because it was important to be able to recognize when just the most subtle of things was off to be able to catch those things early and help them navigate back quickly. You know, in emotional intelligence, that's what I'm hearing from you over and over and over mm -hmm. again is one of the brilliant things about compassionate leadership is your EQ has to be super high. And when your emotional intelligence is high and your IQ is high, then you're leveraging all of your strengths and talents and passions and interests to the highest capacity possible. Yep. And you're also hopefully balancing your personality traits a little bit because, you know, if you are someone who likes to give a lot of chances and is just naturally super compassionate for people, very forgiving of people, then what could backfire on you is that people will take advantage of you and they'll take all the time, all the time. You got to yeah. dial up your assertiveness, which, which can be done and should be done with compassion. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And it's, so it's that balance and we're looking at a workplace and a workforce right now that is just missing the balance. People are tipping too far one way or too far the other way. And they're noting a lot of the challenges within that wonky stool, so to speak. Yeah. And the financial services industry, banking in particular, it's so far the opposite way. Mm. It's so much about structure, repercussions, discipline, always pushing people to work more, even if they're meeting their, it's all about squeezing out of that employee and a client as much as you can for the good of the company, instead of saying, well, no, 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 hold on. If I want the clients to achieve their mission, and that's actually our tagline at True North, helping clients achieve their mission. If we just do that, the bottom line will be fantastic. We don't even have to worry about other than, you know, you have to still work on the business. And I, I'm not saying it's like this hunky dory, ignore it all. But if you do those things, you'll have referrals. I, I can, I promise you, mm -hmm. I'm living it. We have 10 referrals from clients this month alone. We can't keep up with the referrals we get. You, if you really take good care of your team and you really put the client first and you actually care about your client and if you actually care about them, you will put them first, you will grow and you will be profitable and you won't have to struggle with the things that most businesses struggle with, which is growing the bottom line and the top line. But we get so bass backwards that we, we focus on all the wrong things. We analyze this bottom line over and over. And we say, well, we've got these clients. Let's, let's raise fees because we're struggling with it. No, go get more freaking clients. <laughs> don't, don't squeeze more out of the clients you already have. And the same right. with employees. Right. Don't take your top performers and hit them over the head and say, yeah, you met, met your goal. Now we're going to triple your goal again next year. Yeah. No, you're going to lose them or they're going to turn into something different because you, you pressure people so much and either they're going to crack or they're going to leave. And the bigger bank I worked for, um, 55,000 employees, huge company, the turnover rate was 62% in the local region. Oh, yeah. yeah. Within a year, I was the longest tenured client facing person there. The, the goofball that was heading up that team, passive aggressive manipulator, 
And it was, she was all just trying to protect herself mm. to show that she really wasn't qualified to lead a team or lead this unit. And so she felt threatened by me and the team kind of gravitated towards me. And so it was this terrible, terrible situation. And it was lead with negativity, need with repercussions, need with empty threats. And it's like, holy cow, it's no wonder your turnover and all the good ones leave. And the ones who don't, aren't that employable, those are the ones that stay. And so that's what you have as a team of chronic underperformers who thrive or at least survive in a negative environment. And you lose all the good people. Like there's a recipe for success, right? It's unbelievable that those companies even exist. It's just, I can't even believe it. So that's what, what for me makes your example so uh, interesting and worth um, shouting about because <laughs> You really go against the convention you know you're working in a highly regulated industry that highly regulated industry permeates through into the people in how they management how they manage how yeah. they work in the pressure the pressure builds the pressure builds the expectation grows here's your target brilliant guess what do double that now and you just kind of compounds that pressure and it just comes out in, in, in the management and leadership style so the way that you're doing it is almost you're completely opposite of that and for me, it's interesting that perhaps that's a reflection of something deeper, further back in your past. That's definitely not the right way to go. I'm still right. going into this high-pressured environment, and I'm going to have my impact, but I'm going to do it my way, make a difference by leading with my heart, not by following this button-down, pressurized, stressful, unhealthy, which well, I, I, um, I actually um, took a, a promotion one time that put me into an environment and Teresa, this might get back to that question that I sort of avoided so far. I was promoted to basically be in a position where I was going to become the next CFO of the medium sized bank. And I should have never taken the promotion, uh, but I did. I was still doing my old job. The old job or the old job I left behind, I had created a great team and a great environment. And so I moved to a division that was having problems to basically, you know, kind of learn from the current CFO. And then when he retired, I would, take over that job basically. And this was under the maniac. You know, when that all happened, I was in such a negative, stressful environment that I started to become negative and stressful myself. Career-wise, I was really drawn to it. I mean, there, every day went by, I said, gosh, I should have never taken this. But hey, since I did, why not at least become the next CFO and all the things that, that would come with that? It was so bad, <laughs> and people will be surprised by this maybe, the HR director called me and he said, the CFO doesn't want to interview this person you have that you're hiring. And I said, well, he told me it was fine. I'm going to do the interview anyway. And the, the person started to say, you know, you can't run these hiring processes yourself and you need to have approvals and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, the CEO is saying, whatever it takes, you do it and get it done for us. So we had this conversation and the HR director was basically saying, we don't want to interview this person. They didn't even know this person. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going to do the interview, whether you're there or not. In fact, I think I'm going to uninvite the HR representative from any interviews going forward, since you're being a jerk about it. And he gets all, you know, high and mighty and stuff. So I'm walking down the hall, heading to somewhere. I've got the phone. He says something back to me. And for the second time in my whole life, and I think I've only done it three times total. And this I did kind of loud. I was like, F you. <laughs> And I said the real word. And um, you're embarrassed you are now. You're like covering up your mouth. Like, <laughs> I hate that word. I totally hate, I totally hate that word. But um, then I went around and had to apologize to the whole team because, like, they saw me angry and they saw me, 
becoming the very thing that I despise. Right. And so six weeks later, I opted out of that job, out of that promotion. They took me back to the uh, previous subdivision to run that because I was helping lead my, to find my own replacement. We hadn't uh, done it yet. So they took me back. I really thought I'd lose my job, but I was totally fine with that. I knew, you know what, maybe this is the springboard I need to get out of here. I realized as I looked in the mirror, like, hey, if you stay here, you're going to probably become the very thing you despise. You can't do that. So yeah. I had to make some drastic, or as Mimi Boyer would say, massive action. Um, <laughs> and I, I really thought I would lose my job. They put me on a 30-day paid administrative leave. I think they were trying to replace me so they could get rid of me altogether. I grew a great beard <laughs> and I got the H1N1 virus during that time and one of my sons was born. So it was a crazy 30 days. And then when I went back in, I didn't know if I'd be fired, but I, I had a piece that, you know what, I had, I had plan B, C and D all lined up and ready to go. If I lost my job, then it wasn't meant to be. I knew what I couldn't do though, was going into a path where I became the monster that yeah. so many people are as they get more and more successful in, in business. Exactly. Yeah. So to me, that sounds like self-compassion. You know, you, you lead yeah. with compassion, but you also need to be self-aware and reflective and realize that when you do have these triggers, yeah. when you do have these potential pitfalls, you have the self-compassion, the wherewithal <laughs> to remove yourself from that situation, whether it's physically or mentally or just yeah. briefly or you know, <laughs> exclusively. Yeah. And self-awareness too. Yeah. Like we have to know our strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to know our weaknesses. And yes, we. I want to get stronger to where I can be in any environment and be positive and upbeat and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I that's not an area that I can handle consistently right now. I'm the best thing I can do for myself and the world and my family and the people I'm mentoring is just don't go down the street where you continue to fall into the same you know, pothole every time. Yeah. So I just don't, I just don't walk down those streets much at all. There's a, there's a parallel that I've been exploring recently from my own sort of personal growth, personal development. I'm interested in your thoughts on this and it sort of ties into what Risa and I call a hashtag not anymore. So nice. <laughs> it's in the past, right? Or nice. it's not sustainable. So it's not anymore. And the parallel is in, in sort of the history of workplaces, we see that it started with muscle. So we had to physically use human resources to get work done, but it's their physical strengths, a lot of manufacturing and a lot of hard work, right? And There's then nothing we, wrong with muscles. Nothing wrong with muscles. And then we turn to the brain and a lot of the work and what we were doing was associated with how smart are you? What do you know? What can you bring yeah. to the table as far as knowledge, right? And now we're seeing that it's leading to <laughs> A workplace world of you must lead with your heart and this sort of like separate box distinction of these three things and the parallels I was thinking of my own life when I was younger I led a lot with muscle just with sheer will stubbornness determination whatever it was gonna be I was gonna get it right however yeah. I needed to go about doing it and then when I recognized that's not really working for me I turned to what do I not know and how can I convince people based on information because maybe they just don't have the information and then you know in my late 20s they went well that's all fine and dandy until no one wants to stick around with you <laughs> because you're an <laughs> asshole you're an asshole right and yeah. so then it's kind of like wait a minute here <laughs> There people, are bruised bodies everywhere. Right? That's right. People actually <laughs> just want to know that I care about them first and then they'll stick around for the rest of it. So I'm interested. Even when in you have an off day, they'll stick off. around because they know you care. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts around that parallel. I try to try to not be uh, overly intellectual, but I, I love to be. I, I like to read Russian novels and think of think of modernity and postmodernity. We're we're in the postmodernity era right now, where the modern era was about achievement and it was about financial success, physical success, and muscle. We moved into this postmodernity. Uh, which kind of lines up with millennials, one of the generational leaders of that. But it's all about more than just financial success. It's about life success, right? Yes, we want to accentuate our strengths. And some of us really only have one major strength, physical, physically strong, or sort of that personal power, right? You don't have to be a physically strong person to lead with force mm. uh, and muscle, so to speak. But you're going to have positives and negatives that come from that. Like I'm a big believer that our strengths and weaknesses are like a razor blade. Mm -hmm. You know, the very thing that we're the most strong at, like your strength, your ability to push through and get it done no matter what, no one can stop you. But then you realize like nobody's following you either because you, yeah. you know, they have broken legs and arms because you barreled right through them. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's fine. You can achieve that way. And there's successful people Mm -hmm. in the world right now leading major major companies they're still leading that way and they're still succeeding i mean look look at some of the political people here in the u.s that they've led with brute force and the universe is telling them that still works but i wouldn't want to be in their administration would you i wouldn't i wouldn't want to align with that as much as you might like or dislike policies like that's not a culture i want to be a part of no way you, you can still be successful that way intellectually muscle lead with the heart but honestly i think the revolution that is happening and maybe needs to happen or at least in my life you need to be able to do all of those things reasonably well so there's times that my kids need me to be the bad cop there's times my kids need me to hold them and read a story to them there's times my kids need me to sing a song to them and, and i need to be able to lead with my heart my muscle and my mind to create all that I want to. And, and, and there's more than just that, right? There's more than just those three areas, three areas we talk a lot about. So I need to continue to improve in all of those areas because sometimes we're really comfortable in one or like our MO or under stress, we become, you know, you probably, maybe I do revert back to brute force under a lot of stress or if you're too tired or too hungry or too alone or too lonely or whatever, right? You become sort of that, little bit of a beast again I do too I actually do and and I have to fight that so much so when I feel myself getting triggered yeah like I gotta go for a walk I gotta go talk to a positive person I gotta like sometimes you gotta do that physical like just get the adrenaline out so you don't do something that you'll really really regret yeah um, I think that it's the nuance it's the subtle nuances of identifying how much muscle how much brain how much heart yeah to the right person at the right time in the right place, knowing how to do that and do it yeah. really well. And one size fits one, Teresa. Like, right. I don't treat my three kids the same. Correct. I treat them in a way that I think is going to bring out the best in each of them. And so they're always like, you're not fair. You do this for my <laughs> brother. I'm like, but yeah, but I do this for you and I don't do that for them. Like, I'm not going to treat people the same. And I've done this all sorts of trainings in business and like, you have to be consistent and treat every employee the same. And that's why you have these, you know, policies and procedures and employee handbooks. And like, yeah, there's, it makes it easier to justify how things are, but no, every person's different. 
And if I want their strengths, I got to be willing to put up with the weaknesses. Marcus Buckingham um, calls that as a leader, the difference between playing chess and playing checkers. And he encourages mm, that we- The great analogy, I love it. Yeah, playing chess with our players, right? Structure and framework for the game, yet each person requires a different way of being and doing within that game in order for the whole to be successful. It really And they have different happen. moves, right? They have yeah. different moves. I have to get a master's degree in each person on my team. Yeah. understand what motivates, what demotivates, what will hold them accountable, what will make them feel special. So to go back to what you were saying, Teresa, I think, you know, you and I often talk about balance or, you know, I like to use the word equilibrium. You're talking about checkers and chess. I like to think of it like a, an orchestra. So you're the conductor and you, you, for you to create the perfect symphony, you, you're not, it's all about everyone playing to their strengths all at the same time. I, I know you and I know what will best work with people next to you so I can bring that up from you and I can maybe play that down and together as a whole, it creates a, you know, a harmony, like you just said. I love it. That's a brilliant analogy. Thank you, Reese. And Chris, love it. we want to thank you so much for sharing. I think number one, it's your heart, <laughs> then your story, and you know some really practical things that people can take away from your story, from actual... You know, I love this concept of finding your own chairs from within so that you can be your best self for other people. Remembering that to be grounded for other people, you have to take care of yourself. That's the first time I've shared that publicly, by the way. Oh, I love it. It was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And then, you know, the second one that I think was probably the biggest one that leaders need to hear about, you know, leading with compassion and knowing that this is, an, this is a good way to lead. It may not be your full throttle way to lead, but it's good to include, is that to do that, you have to have a set of core values that you operate by and you yes. have to be clear on how to operate within those core values in the business that you're running so to our audience if you would like to connect with Chris you could do so via LinkedIn he also has got his website truenorthfs.com true without an e or it can be info at tuckerfs.com to contact him so Chris we have a rapid-fire Q&A that we like to wrap up the show with, Let's roll. with each of our guests so it's pretty straightforward you get two choices you got to pick one. You got it. Okay, number one, manager or leader? Leader. Active or reactive? Active. Black and white or gray? Uh, gray. Optimist or realist? Optimist. Canada or England? Oh, man. Uh, England just because I want to visit Reese. Heart <laughs> or head? Definitely heart. Empathy or assertiveness? Empathy. Introvert or extrovert? <laughs> extrovert. Yeah. Volcano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we heard it. Um, logical or emotional? Emotional. Innovation or process? Innovation. Wonderful. Thank you Perfect. so much. You could have probably answered almost all those without me, couldn't you? About me. Maybe. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Nine out of ten, anyhow. <laughs> Well, thank, thank, you, so thank much. you again to you. Thank you uh, to my co-host. Thank you. Thank you to the audience. Um, join us next time on TNT ESQ. Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode of TNT ESQ with myself, Teresa Quinlan, and my co-host, Reese Thomas. It was a pleasure having you stop in and listen. Until next time, keep challenging the status quo.